You're listening to the Jewel City Podcast. You can join us Sundays at 10 a.m. in person or online, or Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. In this podcast, we're going through the books 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John with Linda Sims. Good evening, everyone. We're here doing the last uh, uh, few verses of chapter 5 in 1st John. And next week, we'll do 2nd John, and then the following week, 3rd John, and then this study will be done at that point. So we've got two more after tonight. Our teacher is Dr. Tony Evans, and he does a fabulous job. I've been learning so much, and I hope you are too. And so here's our opening question. Have you ever been in a situation where you found yourself unable to place your confidence in something or someone? Maybe you didn't like the look of a rickety bridge, or maybe you weren't convinced that a roller coaster was 100% safe, or maybe you always looked over your shoulder when your prankster brother was being suspiciously quiet. Describe your situation. Two things come to mind for me. One was we had, when I was growing up, we had kittens, and I had sisters, we named them all flowers, and one of them, the cat's name was Geranium. And as a kitten, he would run up and put his paws around your ankle and then go bite on your heel. And he didn't outgrow it. So when he got to be a big cat, and um, we gave him to my uncle, and then they were moving and they couldn't catch him. And so when we would go out to the farm where we had our garden and things out there, and we could see Geranium running, and you'd see him coming. If you got down and covered your ankles, he'd run on by like, who, me? But if you didn't cover your ankles, he grabbed you. So he was, that was, um, I, always, I could not trust him. No one could trust him <laughs> at all. And then um, when we went to see our son when he was in graduate school, um, we were supposed to get something out of his apartment. I can't remember what it was. But his girlfriend's pit bull was in the apartment, and Jim went in. I mean, that dog was carrying on. I wouldn't even, <laughs> I wouldn't even peek in that door, but Jim went in. I didn't trust the dog <clears throat> at all. So, <clears throat> excuse, excuse me, our willingness to trust depends entirely on the thing we have to trust. I couldn't trust the cat. I couldn't trust that dog. Jim can't trust women drivers in the car. <laughs> so whether it's the things they mentioned up here or something else, we can only trust it as far as what we know it's capable of. And so tonight, we're gonna learn the same thing goes for our God. In this session, we're gonna look at how and why we can trust him. So let's watch our video. There is a malady today among Christians. We might call it spiritual ADD, assurance deficit disorder, where there is not the security and the assurance either about their salvation or about their fellowship. And that's because it's based on the wrong criteria. John, the, the author of fellowship, the apostle of fellowship, the one who leaned on Jesus's chest, wants believers to be secure in their relationship with God, both eternally and temporally. And that's why he says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, these things have I written unto you who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you might know that you have eternal life. Eternal life is not only an eternal destiny, it is an experiential relationship. And he wants us to be assured of both, of where we're going to spend eternity and of our intimacy with God in time. God doesn't want you and I guessing about our relationship with God on either level. When he says these things, he's referring to the testimony of God that he's spoken about in verses one through 12 of 1 John 5. 
the testimony of God concerning his son. We're told to believe the testimony of God, particularly the testimony of God concerning his son. That's why he says that the one, verse 10 of chapter five, who believes in the son of God has the testimony within himself. So assurance is built in to confidence in the testimony of God. There was one occasion I had a trip in Iowa where I had to go speak. My wife decided that she was going with me, that is until she found that they had to fly me out on a twin engine plane. She decided that she no longer was going. I said, well, your faith is so small. And she said, that's because your plane is so small. Well, the plans got changed and we found what wound up going up on a, a major airline. She changed her mind and decided she was gonna go with me. I said, well, your faith sure grew. She said, that's because the size of your plane sure grew. In other words, it would be the object that would give testimony to her confidence. God says he cannot lie. He's given testimony to Jesus Christ. And this testimony to his son brings witness within ourselves. So if you're looking to anything outside of Christ to give you internal verification, you will also ride up and down, always ride up and down, this roller coaster of uncertainty because you never know whether you are good enough. You never know whether you obeyed enough. You never know whether you kept the law enough. You never know whether you were faithful enough. And so you're always on this uncertainty, but John doesn't want that uncertainty. He wants you to know you're standing before God. But he says there is an additional confirmation because he says with this confidence that has been internally verified because of our faith in Jesus Christ, the object of God's revelation and testimony, that if we ask anything, verse 14 says, according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. Wow. That means that the assurance of our relationship and our intimacy with Christ means that you can go to him confidently, boldly, knowing that he's gonna respond according to his will. God has a plan. And if you are praying in his will because of the relationship and there is this sense of testimony or confidence about what you are praying, he says, expect an answer. Many Christians don't either bother to pray or don't have confidence when they pray because they're looking at the wrong thing. <laughs> they're not looking at the assurance factor, which gives them confidence in prayer about their need. Now, how do you know something is according to the will of God? That means it's consistent with the word of God, which he calls God's testimony. It's consistent with that. That's why whenever I'm praying about something, I ask God to validate it through his word. In football, they have a rule book. The rule book governs all the NFL teams, all 32 teams have to abide by the rule book in every game. But every team has a different playbook. The playbook are the different individual plays that they have for various situations that they will face on the field. Well, God has a rule book, that's his word. But when you're praying, you're praying about a playbook. You're praying about individual things, praying about individual scenarios operating in your life. God says that he always answers according to the rule book, that is according to his will, but you're praying about a playbook. But if you're operating within the rule book, and it's something God plans to do. He gives you an internal confidence that he's going to do it regarding the play, the particular scenario you're crying out to him for because of a need in your own life. And he even goes so far as to say, this power in prayer affects our relationship with other believers. If anyone sees his brother committing sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give life to those who commit sin, not leading to death. John's concern is not only about our own Christian life, but about our relationship with others. That's why there's so much about loving one another in the book of 1 John. And what he says is, we can not only get confidence when we pray for ourselves, 
But when we want to see lives of others changed who are in the family of God, we've got the power to do that because of our own faith in Jesus Christ and the assurance that that faith brings. So he wants you to know that this world, verse 19, lies in the hands, in the power of the evil one. Now, why is that important to know? The closer you are to the world, the further you are from assurance, and the further you are from assurance, the more you cannot have confidence when you pray. Conversely, the further you are from the world, that system headed by Satan that leaves God out, and the closer you are to the Lord, then the more confidence you will have about the things concerning which you pray. So if you want to answer prayer, go from the world to the Lord, getting the assurance because of your growing faith and confidence in the object, Jesus Christ, knowing that those prayers will be answered. And then he accents it by this statement, little children, guard yourselves from idols. Verse 21, an idol is any noun, any person, place, thing, or thought that you look to as your source. It can be a sophisticated idol, an American idol. It can be money, power, people, possessions. It can be anything that becomes your focus as your source. There's only one source, and that's the true God, and he can meet you in any number of resources. Idolatry says, I don't want the true God to be my source. I'll just use him as one of the gods. Nothing will keep you from confidence, answered prayer, and spiritual conviction like idolatry. And so you must run from anything that wants to trump God in your life. If you want to see the assurance and the power of God working into and through your life. An idol is a bad photograph of a false God. The true God doesn't even let pictures be taken of him because it would break the camera. But the true God wants you to know if you will focus on him and the testimony that comes from him, he will give you witness to yourself that he is indeed operating on your behalf. Moses prayed. God said, I'm going to destroy the people because of their unbelief, their idolatry. But Moses interceded for them. And guess what the Bible says? God changed his mind. That's because Moses was close to God, even though the people were not. How much power is that? If you're close enough to God, you can affect what God does in the lives of other people you care about and love because he went to God based on God's word. God is so committed to the testimony that he gives us concerning himself and his son that if you draw close to that testimony, he will work to you and through you to benefit you, but also to benefit the lives of others through you because of your closeness that they may not even have right then. And I got ahead of myself and didn't read the scripture, so I'll do that now. <laughs> we'll see the slide to watch the video here in a few, a few slides. Uh, John, 1 John 5, 13, verse 13 to 21. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. We know that we have the request which we have asked from him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will for him give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make request for this. All unrighteousness is sin and there is a sin not leading to death. We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who was born of God, that's Jesus, keeps him, that's the one who's born of, that's us, the believers, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. 
This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. And so, okay. We were to watch the video, we did that. So Dr. Uh, Evans began this session by diagnosing a disease among Christians, assurance deficit disorder. What did he describe as the problem? Okay, George says to be double-minded. Um, we feel unsure about our salvation and our ability to fellowship with God. Have you known anyone who ever kept saying, well, I hope I'm going to heaven? I, you know, yeah. Friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. Yes, that's true. Okay, the entire book of 1 John finds its point and purpose in um, the 13th verse of the chapter we just read. What is that? Can you look in your Bibles and see? Yes, that we will believe on his name. And you know, this was the same purpose when we studied John last summer. So John's staying true to it. That's what he wants, we, he, that we would know that we have eternal life. Now, as Tony pointed out, God doesn't want his children guessing about our relationship with him. God wants to instill in us confidence that we're not only in right standing with him, but we are his children and promised, we're promised eternal life. Okay, so let's look at this next one. How would you describe your assurance regarding your salvation? How many of you in here know that you know that you know that you're going to have eternal life? So you'd say your assurance is pretty good. How many are thinking, mm, not sure? Anyone? You don't have to raise your hands. Okay, well, the, in, um, let's look at this next question. In the past, what things have worried you or threatened your confidence in your relationship to God? Anything ever worried you or threatened your confidence about it? George? Our mo wrong motives? Okay, wrong motives. That's a good one. Um, I put up a couple things here. I don't want to miss anyone, though. Anyone else have a comment before I put up a couple things? Sometimes I think differently than other people, so just because I put it up doesn't mean that's what you're going to think of. But I, I saw this first. Um, these were the words of Jesus speaking to Simon Peter. He said, but I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And this is when he told him that uh, Satan wanted to sift him like wheat. And he said, but I have prayed for you. So I think sometimes our faith just, maybe it wavers a little. Here was another one that I put up. We're listening to the wrong voices. <laughs> you know, we are. We get like he said, too far away from the Lord and we start hearing other voices. You haven't done enough. You're not in church enough. You're not reading the Bible enough. You should have done this. You should have done that. First Timothy 4.1 says, but the spirit, and, and how many believe we're in the last days? Close, I do. But the spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. And I know there, I know people who are in that place, unfortunately. And I put up this one, trials. Sometimes we think, what am I doing wrong? God, so, I'm hit by so much. I must be doing something wrong. But First uh, Peter 1, verses six to seven says, in this you greatly rejoice, that's trials. <laughs> Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the trials don't come to destroy us. They come to increase our faith. He's right. First commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second's like unto it, love your, love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, not even family. And I know there are missionaries on the field. Um, I've heard stories, you know, where they're killed and their children. I mean, and, you know, one missionary said, just a little while, we'll see Jesus, just a little while. So you can't, 
and, and that's a strong word, George, but we have to, our first love needs to be the Lord, doesn't it? Our first love. All right, here. What has, um, let me see. I'm supposed to say something here, I think. Okay. First Peter 1, verses 3 to 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away that's reserved in heaven for us. And um, this is the verse that has answered this question for me. What has contributed to building up your assurance that you're God's child? What's his word? And this verse goes on to say, when you're a believer, you're protected by the power of God through faith for salvation to be revealed in the last time. Is there anything that's contributed to the building up of your of that assurance in you that you're God's child? We are God's child if we've repented and received Jesus. That's that repentance is important. I've I've had I know we had kids in school and and the popular comment today is God's a God of love. He won't send anybody to hell. But God is a just God and he doesn't send people to hell. Your your choices, you choose if you're going to serve him or not. And so um, if you've repented and received him and you're a believer, his word says, doesn't it, that you're God's child. We are different, and it all, all together, we have, we're the body of Christ, and he gives gifts severally as he will for the building up and the edification of the body. It's exactly true. Here's the next question. If you could talk directly to God and he would answer you, what would you like to hear to build your confidence in your eternal destiny? He knows, David says. What would you like to hear? I know what my dad would. Well done. That's what I had put down. Well done. My dad would keep saying, he, my dad uh, was not passed away last summer. He was 98. And four years earlier, he prayed with me to receive Christ as his Savior. He just had no assurance. He'd say, well, I hope I get to go. I hope I get to go. And so he would have wanted to hear, well done. I'm, I'm pleased with you. you you're, you're my child. And because you're my child, you get to come with me. That's not based on works, is it? Although we should have good works, but that's not what gets us there. So um, when, I, when I focus on myself and my sin, my failures, my shortcomings, I want to hear, <laughs> that's when I want to hear, well done, or I'm pleased with you. But should that be my focus? No. Bruce is shaking his head now. That shouldn't. What should be our focus? The Lord. That's right. The Lord. So let me hear what we got here. Um, Tony told the story of flying on an airplane with his wife. Do you remember that in the video? And her faith grew in direct proportion <laughs> to the size of the plane, didn't it? direct proportion to the thing she was trusting to fly her to her destination. Um, how does Tony's story reflect the truth of a relationship to God? The closer you get to him, the bigger he is. You know, he can, he's got the whole world in his hands and me. He knows how many hairs are on my head and there's not a bird he doesn't see that falls to the ground that he doesn't see. He knows you and exactly where you are, where I am. He's a big, big God. Closer you get to him, the more you're like him and the more you know him. Um, we have the strongest foundation for our faith. I'm going to put this up here. Our faith depends on him, not on us. It's on him. Um, he's the God who created the universe, and God cannot lie. So whatever he said in his word, it's truth that we can bank on. 
because he can't lie. And we have other voices, Satan, that tells us, oh, you know, that's what he said in the garden. Did God really say that? <laughs> that's what he said to Eve and Adam and Eve. But we can bank on it. He's given testimony to Jesus Christ. And this testimony to his son brings a witness inside us. You know, if you receive Jesus, you, you know inside. You know it's truth. You can't explain it to other people, but you know it. You know, you know that you know that you know. And so if you're looking to anything outside of Christ to give you that internal verification, you're going to ride up and down on that roller coaster of, have I done enough? Um, and our confidence grows as we come to understand how big, how very, very big our God is. Okay, let's look at this next question. How would your confidence in your salvation change if you focused on God's strength rather than your own feelings of assurance? How would it change? That's a good point. He said because he has confidence in his salvation and the assurance that he belongs to Jesus, he's able to lead other people to Christ. He knows. He knows who he is. He knows of whose he is. And he's able to share that with other people with a boldness. And boy, how many want that? I do. Okay. In uh, Hebrews chapter 6, it says... Um, we would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. When we have, um, well, I talked here about God ha having an, um, making his promises with an oath. And because of that, we take refuge in him and it gives us strong encouragement. Let's look at the next slide. Okay, we're going to look at these verses think three of them. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. We said that was why he wrote 1 John. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. We know that we have the request which we have asked from him. Uh, here, so John's not advocating here that we test God with these great big grandiose requests, but instead he's pointing out that our confidence will grow even greater as we see God come through on our earnest prayers. So look here. What further proof does John give for our confidence in God here in those verses? If we ask him for something, we'll get it. Exactly. It's answered prayer. He answers our prayers. So throughout the last few chapters, John's been making the argument that we know we are children of God by the radical change that happens in us. Our motives changed. Our love, the things we desire and love and the things we want to do and our affections, those change. Our attitude changed about our sinfulness and um, about our ability to determine truth in the world and about who we love, who we love, that changes. All of it is made possible through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We are, we are changed people. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings the power. And when we speak the word, you know, it's, we overcome by our word, the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. We need to speak what we're reading in the word, and there is great power in that. According to his will, exactly, exactly. So let's look at this. When have you seen God answer prayer in your life or the life of someone you care about? Has anyone seen answered prayer? He said there was a word of knowledge on 700 Club about him, and the Lord said for his mother to stop worrying about him, that everything was gonna be okay. And I'm sure she'd been praying about you. <laughs> And God answered. Um, I prayed. I remember our son was away at college and he came home on break. And he went to church with us. And he was standing beside me. And a friend, after the service, leaned forward and said to me, he's really struggling, isn't he? And I hadn't seen it. 
I took a step back and took a long, hard look at my son. And that started two years of sobbing prayers for him. And he came to the Lord. He's an, an elder in his church now. But it was two years of praying that God was faithful. And I knew, I mean, it's not God's will that anybody perish. I prayed for my dad for 41 years. Now, he would tell you he was a Christian, but I already told you he had zero assurance. He hoped he would get to go to heaven. And I know when you've received Christ, you know, you know right here, there's no hope. You know, so he, of course, he talked about this as assurance deficit disorder. So many people, they don't have that assurance. And I, well, we had lots and lots of talks about it, but the day after my mother passed, the next morning he prayed with me to receive Christ. And then at the funeral, um, my mother had Alzheimer's and they hadn't been able to be in church and they were in the Methodist church. You know, they changed pastors. So the pastor they had didn't know mom or dad. So dad asked me to do the funeral and I did. And I gave an invitation, and he was sitting on the front row, and he raised his hand <laughs> to receive Christ. And then he was furious with me. Why did you make me say that prayer again? <laughs> and I had to say to him, Dad, that wasn't for you. That was for everyone else. So I knew it took. I knew it took. After that, he knew. He knew he was going to go to heaven and be with Jesus. Uh, I'll give one more example because... Um, of the next question that we have up here. I went home. I was, this was early in my walk with the Lord, and Jim and I went home to my parents. We went to a family reunion in early August, about this, probably this weekend. And there were all probably about 100 people milling around, and I saw my Aunt Thelma, my mother's sister. You know how when you walk up to someone, you're just greeting, how are you? Well, she proceeded to tell me how she was, and it wasn't good. She had a long list of things, and people were milling all around. The Lord said, pray for her. And I said, Lord, can't you see where we are? Can't you see what we're doing? This isn't the time or place to be praying. Well, he would not leave me alone. So I finally said to my Aunt Thelma, hey, can I pray for you? And she said, sure, and it was not a long prayer. Father, I ask you, heal my Aunt Thelma in the name of Jesus. Amen. While we were back home Thanksgiving, I walked in my mother and dad's kitchen, and my dad and mom looked at me and said, why didn't you tell us? I thought, what are they talking about? And they said, Thelma said you prayed with her, and she was healed. When God prompts you to pray for someone, he's wanting to do something. And I repented. I said, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. You're wanting to heal someone, and I'm arguing with you. So it changed me. That, that experience changed me. I wanted, if he prompts me, I try to be faithful to do that. Have any of you had an experience like that where an answer to a prayer affected how you prayed? George says yes. Anyone else? Well, I encourage you. He hears our prayers, and he will use you to touch people and to minister to people. Now, here we want to be careful not to misread. We've, this has already been pointed out, Tammy said. It's, um, we don't want to misread what John is saying and think that God will always answer our prayers the way we want so long as we're walking in close fellowship with him because he knows things we don't know. And he, his ways are not my ways. But we can trust him. He's a good God. And um, so what John is trying to say, he's wanting us to connect three things. Our fellowship with God, 
our confidence in his power to save us, and our prayer life. Those are the three things. Our fellowship with God, our confidence in his power to save us, and our prayer life. Based on that, how would you connect those three things based on what we have learned so far? Well, we're trying to grow in our fellowship with God, aren't we? Aren't we? That's what this is all about. As that fellowship grows, our desires and our prayers begin to line up with his will, don't they? The closer we get to him, the more we know what he's trying to do. Like with my Aunt Thelma, <laughs> you know, I thought, oh. Then he answers those prayers. Then we grow in our confidence that he hears us. Then we're closer to the Lord. And the cycle continues. That's how those are connected. He said we're different. We hope I can get this. We, as we grow in maturity, and he said it's a struggle. I'm going to add, it's a joy too. It's a joy. When you see prayers answered and you, in your family, I mean, it's such a joy for my son to come to the Lord, such a joy for my dad, such a joy to see my aunt healed. And, so, and you, all, you all have had the same thing. But there's a price to pay, isn't there, to get closer to the Lord. But guess the Holy Spirit's in us, and he changes us. So it's a joy, and you choose to do it his way, but he helps you do it. He helps you do it. Oh, can't do it without the Holy Spirit. Okay. Tony connected uh, this to a football playbook. We learn the plays, pray in keeping with them, and get better at the game. Where have you seen prayer, whether just simply praying or an answered prayer, change the way you approached your Christian life? Thank you, Rusty. He said when he was in Vietnam... And my dad had the same thing, World War II. He promised the Lord, if you get me out of here, I'll serve you the rest of my life. And he said he was saved. He was a Christian. That was 1969. It changed his walk and his way. Um, I'm going to tell you a little incident. When I was teaching at the school, when someone would get, when I was the principal there in Teachers would get sick. We would gather for prayer in the morning. And we got in a bad habit. If Jim would come in and say he was sick, we would take a step back and make the sign of the cross, like, don't give it to me. <laughs> and so I was in a graduate school-level class. I mentioned that one other time. We met twice a week, three hours at a time. And I was in this class. We there an hour and a half, take a 15-minute break, then you do the other hour and a half. So I noticed the man beside me, I can't even, I only know his first name right now, Pete. He looked terrible. He looked, I mean, back, black circles under his eyes, head down, pale. He looked really sick. And I said to him, not, Pete, you look terrible. That's not a nice thing to say either. But I said, you look so terrible. He said, oh, I am so sick. I shouldn't even be here. What did Linda do? Don't give it to me. And the Lord rebuked me on the spot. He said, you should not be doing that. You should be praying for him. This man's not a believer. And I immediately repented. And I said to him, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't be doing that. What I should be doing is praying for you. Do you mind if I pray for you? Well, he's kind of startled. He's, what would you do if you're startled? He said, well, no, that's okay. So I prayed. It was a short prayer. Father, I ask you, heal Pete in the name of Jesus. Amen. But as I walked away, I prayed more. And I asked him to heal Pete as a sign of his love for him. That was Thursday night. The following Tuesday, we're all sitting in class. The professor's standing at the front of the room. She's ready to start. It's like one minute to go. He comes, he stands in the door of the classroom. 
he looks across and he says, you, from that moment on, I was healed. I even ran a marathon this weekend. And everyone looked at me and said, what did she do? He said, I don't know, something about be healed in the name of Jesus. So that changed too. I don't need to be trying to protect myself from people who are sick. I need to be praying for people. But think what I wanted, why I shared that is, we make mistakes, but he tells us. And you see how fast I just said, you're right, Lord. That's wrong. Please forgive me and help me to do this right. And he honored that. Even though I made a terrible mistake and wasn't treating him like I should at all. And so that's to encourage you. You might not do it right, but as soon as he tells you, fix it. Because he'll honor. He he hears our prayers. Is there anything you could do this week to practice prayer that pulls from God's playbook? You have to be in fellowship with him. And the key for me is... I try to start my day with it, with him, um, to just be sensitive to him and to give myself to him. And um, some people pray in the evening, you know, we're all different. But for me, I needed to start my morning. And boy, I could tell a difference if I didn't. But we do need to be in the word because the, the language of the Holy Spirit is the word of God. When he speaks to you, he speaks his word to you and you recognize it. And he's either... He's, he's teaching you and showing you things. Okay. He said many of the scriptures are prayers themselves. I found the most powerful prayers when you pray his word. When you pray his word. There's power in his word. So much more than my words. Let's look at this next one. Um, John didn't leave us with just prayer. He concludes his letter with a challenge that we keep each other on track in our fellowship with God. So let's look at these verses. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will for him give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make requests for this. All unrighteousness is sin and there is a sin not leading to death. We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Rather than police our brothers and sisters, I'm not supposed to go around and say, are you doing this? Are you praying in the morning? Are you reading the word? What does John want us to do do to help her? Pray for him. He wants us to pray. He shows us things so we can pray. He wants us to pray a lot. You're right. Now this talks about, let's learn a little bit more about the sin that leads to death. Okay. And we're going to look at Matthew 12, chapter 12, verses 24 to 32. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man cast out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If I, this is Jesus talking, by Beelzebub cast out demons... By whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house? He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. 
but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. In this passage, what does Jesus identify as the one sin that cannot be forgiven? Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That's exactly right. And so, um, this sin, this sin, a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, it's not, let me tell you a couple things that's not, it's not getting mad at God and telling him you wish things were different. It's not that. It's not having an ungodly thought run through your mind. And it's not taking the Lord's name in vain. Uh, although taking the Lord's name in vain is showing irreverence for the Lord, and so it's similar to it. But there's a difference. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit involves um, an attitude of the heart that you know you're doing it and will. And when someone uh, uses the Lord's name in vain, that's usually done out of ignorance. That's not done willfully. Okay, let's look a little bit about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. The definition in the dictionary says it's the act of insulting or showing contempt or lack of reverence for God. It's willfully taking the true work of the Holy Spirit and speaking evil of it, attributing his work to the devil. And in those scriptures we read, Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees and Jesus could see their heart, and he knew that they knew he was the Son of God and that he was doing those works by the Holy Spirit, and yet they told him and told, said publicly that he was doing it by Satan. So they willfully, not in ignorance, they willfully attributed his miracles to Satan. Jesus says whoever commits this sin will not be forgiven. Now let's look a little bit, of, let's look at John 16. When he comes, this is the Holy Spirit, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because people do not believe in me. So what we're doing is taking a look at the role of the Holy Spirit. What? According to that verse up there, what is one of the primary works of the Holy Spirit? What is, according to that verse that's up there, we see that one of the primary works of the Holy Spirit is what? Pardon me? Okay, proves the world. Um, about sin and righteousness. We call that what? Conviction? He's convicting. He brings conviction. Have any of you ever been under conviction? I've been under conviction. Uh, that's how I came to the Lord. I saw what I was doing was wrong. It was, it was sin. That's his job, okay? So when a person does not know Jesus as Savior, the Holy Spirit's job is to convict them of their sin and to bring them to him with the hopes of them becoming saved, becoming his child. Uh, we know that John 6, says that no one comes to Christ unless the Father draws him. And the Father draws them by the work of the Holy Spirit. We think we chose the Lord. He chose us. Holy Spirit was working on us. That's why we came to the Lord. If someone constantly rejects the Holy Spirit and speaks evil about him, saying that his work, uh, the work he's doing um, is the work of Satan, giving, you know, whatever he's doing is Satan's work, whatever's happened, they're rejecting the only one who, who can convict them of sin and move them towards repentance. Let's look at that verse in the Message Bible. There's nothing done or said that can't be forgiven, 
But if you deliberately persist in your slanders against God's spirit, you are repudiating the very one who forgives. If you reject the Son of Man out of some misunderstanding, the Holy Spirit can forgive you. But when you reject the Holy Spirit, you're sawing off the branch on which you're sitting, severing by your own perversity all connection with the one who forgives. So to summarize, all sin can be forgiven. The key to forgiveness is repentance. You got to repent. The key to repentance is conviction. The source of conviction is the Holy Spirit. So when a person blasphemes, slanders, and rejects the true work of the Holy Spirit, they're disconnecting themselves from their source of conviction. And when this happens, there's nothing or no one who will move that person to repentance. And without repentance, there's no forgiveness. That's why that sin cannot be forgiven. He, the Pharisees should have known that he was the Messiah because the Old Testament prophets told the exact day that he would ride into Jerusalem on the donkey. I can't point to the prophet, but he rode into Jerusalem on the exact day in the Hebrew calendar. They, there's no excuse for them not knowing that he was the Messiah. And then Jesus did those miraculous works in front of them and then they said it was of Satan. But remember, Jesus could see their heart. He knew they knew he was the Messiah. And were saying it was the works. That's why what they did was blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And we've just seen why it wasn't going to be forgiven. Yeah, I think the Spirit said to them, Paul we know and Jesus we know, but who are you? Because <laughs> they were trying to do it in Jesus' name. And they... I mean, they beat him up and they ran out screaming, nearly lost their lives over it. Okay, um, I know we're getting, I thought it would go so much faster tonight. What does it say about God's character that he won't make people accept him? That he allows the choice, you know? He's a gentleman, he is a gentleman, and I couldn't find any scripture anywhere that said that, so... I, and I try to, but he is a gentleman. He's not going to force himself on anyone. And so he's not going to make anybody repent of their sins and ask for forgiveness. He's not. Um, he always offers the choice. So I, put, I looked at 1 Corinthians 13, 4, because God is love. And that chapter tells some of the attributes of love. God's patient and he's kind. He doesn't seek his own. So he's going to let us choose he knows what's best for us, but he's not going to make us do it. He's going to let us choose. And I, I said he's a God of invitation. There were a bunch of scriptures that said, come, I think Isaiah says, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Um, if you can sin and obey, you will eat the good of the land. Invitation, come, let us worship was another one. Uh, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then in Joshua 24, it said, uh, if it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So he's, he always gives a choice because he's a gentleman. He's not going to make us. What does that mean for those of us who have accepted his forgiveness? Can we ever commit the sin that leads to death? And that's a fear of people, that they've committed the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Do you think we can? He does. He does want us well and whole. Here's the answer I... I have. As long as you and I remain connected to Christ, we're not going to commit the, whole, the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. He lives inside us. 
he's not going to uh, go against himself. Remember that a house divided itself cannot stand. If Satan's divided against himself, he can't stand. Same with the Holy Spirit. He lives inside us. As long as we stay connected to Christ, the Holy Spirit's going to tell us and keep us from that. I had um, someone come to me and wanted to pray for me. And I said, um, whose name are you going to pray in? Oh, I'll pray in any name you want me to pray in. I said, no, thank you. Who told me to not let that person pray for me? Who do you think it was? The Holy Spirit. He, he protects us. He keeps us from making those mistakes to falling into those traps. He's the creator. He is the creator. Okay. How does it change your view of the Christian life to know that you cannot separate yourself from God's forgiveness? Does that change anything? You need to keep praying for them. You do. You need to keep praying for them. And in every opportunity, he'll give you words to say to someone or if he prompts you to pray for him, to pray for them. Um, we've learned in 1 John to pray for the removal of sin in our life. Remember, he's light. He's a revealer. And, and when you abide in him, that doesn't mean that you're going to walk without ever sinning. That means... He's going to show you the sin in your life, and you confess it, and he removes it. That's what living in the light, abiding in him is about. And uh, pray that, um, so you're going to pray for them to have the removal of sin in their lives. Pray that they experience life from God, and pray that they're going to be equipped to overcome the world and Satan. So that's how we love each other, by praying for our brothers and sisters in those areas. And I hope you would pray for me. You see, see me doing things that I shouldn't be doing, that you would pray for me in those areas. Okay. Uh, this, at this point, I'd ask if any of us have um, how we might pray for each other. And I'm going to save this for the very end because I know we're a little over and, and we're very close to the end of, uh, of wrapping up tonight. But... Um, how we could pray for each other. So at the end, when, after we've done the final prayer, if some of you want to come down front and if you want prayer, we can pray for each other for anything that you'd like. So let's look at the last few verses of this chapter. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. And then he ends with saying, little children, that's who we are. Guard yourselves from idols. What does John remind us about the character of Jesus? What does he remind us in those verses? Who is Jesus? He's the, he's the son of God. What else does he say about him there? Truth. He's truth. Let me see. Let me go the right direction. He's the true one. He's the true one. What does that mean for us? How do we live differently as a result? Can we trust him? Yeah, we can trust him. Pardon me? Okay. Total and complete confidence. Yes, he's, he can be, he's 100% trustworthy. He's worthy of being followed. What does Jesus promise? Eternal life. How many want eternal life? How many want to experience it now, too? I mean, not that we die to go to heaven, but we experience that fullness that comes with living close to him every day. Yeah, Ken is laughing at me. <laughs> so what are idols? Yeah. Any person, thing, or idea that we look to instead of God. They're, uh, instead of God being our source, they're our source. In America, that can be a lot of things. Why does John follow up talking about Jesus being true with a warning about idols? Yeah, idols are false. Remember he said that an idol's like a bad picture of Jesus and the Lord would break the camera. The idol's just a bad 
copy of, try, of the real thing, trying to anyway. So let's look for a minute at the word true. Um, Alethenos, he uses that three times in one sentence in verse 20. He says, we have received understanding through Christ to know the one who is true. We are in the one who is true. And that term describes something that is genuine, authentic, and real. So that's who Christ is. Now let's look at the words know. In verse 20, the first time, know is in that verse twice. The first time, the word for it is oida. That's like a head knowledge. I know about it in my mind, in my head. And we know that the Son of God has come. But the second time it's used, it's a different word. Genosco, that knowledge, that knowing means you've arrived at that knowledge by personal experience. And the example is he's given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. That knowing is personal experience. That's why you know him. Not just that you know him here, you, have, you know him here. Yes, that's the hard experience. So um, I look back at the passages tonight that we just read. The first one, no, let me go up first. The oida, the no head knowledge is in the orange and the genosco, the heart knowledge where you know it by personal experience. So that first, you may know that you have eternal life, that's head knowledge. Verse 15, we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, head knowledge. Verse 18, we know that no one who's born of God sins, head knowledge. Verse 19, we know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, head knowledge. Verse 20, we know in our head that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we know by personal experience him who is true. That's the witness of the Holy Spirit. Are there any things in your life that tempt you away from fellowship with God? George? Yes. Yep. It's getting, remember he said at the end here, the closer you live to the world, the farther you are from the God, God and the more you think like the world. And, and you can just kind of grow lukewarm and like the frog in the pot of water. You know, you, you can put a frog in a pot of water and start the fire under it. It'll sit there till it dies. It doesn't recognize that it's dying. And that can happen to us, just getting out of fellowship, getting out of the word getting busy, not spending time with the Lord, whatever, lots of things. So now that we've gone through 1 John, what do you stand to lose if you chase after idols? Lose it all. Back here? What was said back here? A relationship with God. I suppose if you've all come, well, we won't go there. Next one. What do you stand to gain if you refuse to follow the idolatry of the world? Everything, joy in the Lord, fulfillment, just seeing lives changed, your own life, seeing joy, seeing provision, um, growing in love. Here's the last word. It's one thing to know something in your head, to understand the facts. It's another thing altogether to have com complete confidence, and that thing is the truth. By the way, I went back through um, 1 John, and I looked at that word, no, <laughs> And remember all those um, verses where it talked about, let me see here, here. We know that it's the last hour, heart knowledge. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, personal experience knowledge. We will know by this that we are of the truth, heart knowledge. That know there is personal experience. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. We know this, that abiding, we know it here by personal experience. That's that knowing. By this you know the spirit of God. That's heart knowledge. That's personal experience. 
So a lot of that in, in uh, last week's lesson and all through, I would encourage you, if you want a Bible study, get out a concordance and look at those two words and see those different meanings of no. So we've been called into relationship with the God who created the universe. Our present life and our future don't depend on us anymore. They rest entirely in the hands of our kind and gracious Heavenly Father. We are his children. And as we look towards the coming days and weeks, the question that sits before us is simple. Will we, this is what George has been saying all along, will we take the steps to grow in fellowship with our God? It's not complicated. We confess our sin, we love each other, we resist the world, and listen to the Holy Spirit. That's what living in God's family looks like. That's what it means to be a Christian. There's live it outs on your papers. This is the verse that he's encouraging us to memorize this week. And I'm gonna go ahead and close in prayer. And then if any of you want to come down, if any of you want prayer from any of us, Carrie or myself or Aaron, can you stay a little bit too? And we'll be down front and we can pray with you. Or if you want friends around you to pray, just ask him to help you grow in your, whatever your need is, or to just grow in the fellowship and strength of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who's been our teacher. Thank you that you're so patient and kind and gracious, that you love us and you've called us to yourself and you keep us. Lord, I pray for each person here. I pray that you would seal the words that we're learning to our hearts. I pray that they would begin to work in us and change us and that every one of us would grow closer to you. Thank you for encouraging us with your good, good word. Lord, I ask your blessing on each one. They would have a good rest of the week and you would um, minister to them in every area, Lord, to help us know you and love you more and more. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Jewel City Podcast. 